0: you've tuned in to another episode of the Wellness Couch, where science meets ancient wisdom,
1: 3ABR,
0: 3ABR 87.6 FM, and we're your hosts, Katerina and Brett Morrison. Now, lockdown means unique challenges for parents, families, and organisations. Children and parents are anxious, families under more pressure than ever before. Um, now, tonight I have a very special guest, Sydney Pediatrician, <coughs> Dr. Layla Mason, that will discuss the pandemic's effect on young children's mental health and offer practical solutions on what families can do to counteract these and possibly prevent long-term mental health impacts. So before we go there, just a little introduction about Dr. Layla Mason. Uh, she's a Sydney-based specialist paediatrician. She is the author of a Children's Health A to Z, A Parent's Guide to Natural Therapies for Common, childhood ailments. She specialises in nutritional and environmental medicine for children's issues which include allergies, asthma, behavioural problems, um, ASD or autism spectrum disorders and ADHD. Now seeing her parents in clinic in Tamarama, she also mentors doctors in integrative paediatrics. Let's welcome uh, Dr Leila Mason. Leila, are you there? Yes, hi. Thank you so much for having me on your show. How are you? We're so honoured to have you. On our show, The Wellness Couch, yeah. Now, you've got quite a great resume. You've got the medical doctorate from Free University, Berlin, paediatric specialist training at Uni of California, San Francisco, Master of Public Health from Harvard Uni, Diploma of Tropical Medicine, fellow at Royal Australian College of Physicians, Australian College of Nutritional and Environmental Medicine and Medical Academy of Paediatric Special Needs. So quite a resume that you actually do have. Now, not only that, you are you're a multilingual, speaking English, German, French, and Spanish, and uh, lectures internationally on the subject of children's nutrition and has an integrative medicine approach to pediatric issues. So, quite a resume that you do have there. Oh, thank you.
2: Yeah, hi, Layla. It's, it's Brett here. So, thanks very much for joining us tonight. And look, we're really really excited to have you on the show tonight because the whole COVID. I guess pandemic has caused some great concerns, hasn't it? But before we get into, I guess, your advice on how to help children through this and help parents to help their children through this, can you give us a bit of a background about how you got into paediatrics in the first place?
3: Yeah, actually, paediatrics. I was interested in becoming a paediatrician since I was five years old. Oh, fantastic. (laughs) (laughs) I had this wonderful paediatrician in Berlin where I grew up. And he was just such a role model. And he always told me, one day you'll be my assistant. <laughs> and I took that to heart. And, yeah, went, uh, I always knew that. You know, I knew I was going to go to medical school. I knew I was going to become a pediatrician. And my interest was always to work all around the world, which I managed to do more or less. <laughs> yeah. And, and to make children healthier and happier. So I um, can say that I really followed my path from a very young age.
2: That's fantastic. And I think it's such a beautiful thing to do too because when you help children, you're helping the future generation of adults coming through.
0: Now, later. yeah, it must be so rewarding. I know I I see children in my clinic too and it's so rewarding to see the development and uh, them achieving optimal uh, health and growth from from your little patients. Do you feel a sense of satisfaction from that?
3: Oh, I love it. You know, I really love seeing children's health transform and I know that whatever changes families make early on, you know, to a healthier diet, healthier lifestyle, better sleep, all of those things, stays with their children for life. You know, if you have a positive effect on their health and their brain when they're young, that really um, predicts their future health until they are old people. So I think it's um, one of the most wonderful jobs to have to help children be healthier and Understand how important, for example, a healthy diet is for their mind, their mood, their health, everything.
0: Now, you've helped thousands of children, and you do have a special interest or specialize in ASD, ADHD, allergies, recurrent infections, and even behavioral problems such as oppositional um, behavior, angry, OCD, and anxiety in children. So, these are addressing significant issues that can bring much peace and come to not only the patient, but surrounding environments, such as um, the family. Yes, that's so true. You
3: know, when a child is not happy and is angry or anxious, it affects the entire family. And I so often have parents that come and say, the mood of our family goes with our child's mood. When our child wakes up happy, we're all happy. And when the child wakes up unhappy, we are all suffering. And so it really is a whole family approach, you know, helping the child. And often, you know, when I make um, a suggestion for something, often the parents try out the same thing and they say, oh, I feel much better too since I've corrected, for example, my vitamin D deficiency or something, you know. So um, it is so true that it's not just an isolated child, but you always have to see the whole family.
0: Yeah, now your approach has always been a holistic one to look for the underlying cause of any problem and then address a cause in the most effective yet gentle and non-toxic way and you've helped thousands of children throughout the world.
3: Yeah, yeah, I mean that is really my goal in life is to, you know, when I see a child who has, let's say, a tummy ache is to, to really figure out why that child has a tummy ache. Is it because mm. this? Stressed, or unhappy or is it because they're constipated or do they have a food allergy or do they have inflammation I got from a bad gut flora I mean there's so many different causes potential causes for a tummy ache and um, it's the only way to really address it is by getting rid of that underlying issue yeah of course and and fix it and then the child is fine for good
0: it's one of those etiologies or the presenting factors you see very common in in clinic don't you with children a a sore stomach
3: absolutely i see so many kids with sore stomachs and you know many many kids for example with something as simple as constipation and um, it's so easy to address that with, you know, a high-fiber diet and your vegetables. I always say you have to eat five servings of vegetables. One serving is the side, whatever fits into your scooped palm, into your hands. And so a little kid has five little servings and a big kid has five big hands full of vegetables. If you just eat that, you will already take care of 90% of the problems. And then you drink enough and exercise enough and make sure you don't eat, you know, foods that constipate, like white flour, all the ultra processed foods. And maybe the child has a little bit of low magnesium because they're not eating nuts, nuts, and seeds. So constipation is often uh, um, associated with low magnesium, as are, for example, sore legs. You know, so the kids who have sore legs and constipation always think, huh ah, they may need magnesium. And that's easy enough to get on the diet. And you know, if you fix those things, maybe they need a few probiotics if they have had antibiotics before and their gut flora isn't so fantastic. And that's all you usually need, you know. And once they eat that healthier diet, if they start eating enough vegetables, that's actually the best predictor for long-term health.
0: And isn't that so hard to get into their diet when they're when they're adolescent?
3: <laughs> yes, yeah, you need to start young.
0: Yeah. Now, in fact, you you've got um, you're the author of a children's book A to Z. Um, it's a compilation of advice that you have given um, to all your patients over the many years, addressing health and behavioural issues. Um, fantastic writing that book. Well done. You've also got a clinic that supports your patients' health. You've got a garden clinic, which I found um, just amazing and and quite unique. <laughs> that helps with um, children. Um, to cope with their stresses. And, you know, it's got a friendly environment, so obviously very welcoming to children too. What a great idea. Yeah.
3: Well, I think, you know, when children go to a regular clinic, they often get stressed just by going to that clinic. And, you know, I wanted to create a completely different environment where kids come and I they think they're going for a play date. <laughs> they're going coming to a room filled with toys and a garden with balls and and more toys. And they love coming and they, they don't get that adrenaline surge of, oh, my God, oh, for something sure. is wrong. I'm going to give the doctor. So it really works. The kids love coming there.
0: Fantastic. Now, you've got such an interesting um, accent. It's quite beautiful, but I can, I can hear that, um, you know, you've been exposed to working internationally in US, Europe, New Zealand, and you've even volunteered for two years setting up a rural clinic in, in Pakistan.
3: Yeah, yeah. I was actually born in Pakistan. and My parents were working in international aid, and so I was there for the first 18 months of my life, and then moved back to Bel- Germany, grew up in Berlin, and when I finished medical school, I decided I wanted to go somewhere where I actually needed and not just one of thousands of doctors and so I decided to go back to Pakistan and I went to wow. a tiny little village It had no electricity, no running water, not even a road.
0: <laughs>
3: and, and you stayed there for two years. I was years. A doctor there for two years. Yeah, it wow. was amazing. <laughs> yeah.
0: I loved it. <laughs> what did that teach you for your practice? Well, it taught me how important nutrition is
3: because everybody there was malnourished and I, I think the biggest thing I did actually was to get Families to grow little gardens with vegetables because they were that's eating definitely. only. They, you know they were eating only wheat because they had they had basically cash crops wheat and um, and corn and that's all they ate and everybody was anemic and, and and malnourished. So and then hygiene, you know, there was a lot of worm infestation, So that was oh, interesting. Yeah. But it, I I really learned that you don't need a lot of fancy medicine to help most people get better. And, you know, I had a lot of patients with tuberculosis, which is something we wow. don't see here okay, much. No. But the, the treatment was available, it was just that it was hard to get it in a little village. So I made sure that, you know, every day the health workers who were working with me were going to the houses where people had to be and... And gave the medication, supervised every day until they were cured. And that's how we've managed to eliminate TB eradicated from that village. It was a great time. And it also taught me that you don't need a lot of material things because I really didn't have much there.
0: (laughs) No, most definitely. No. Now, obviously, (laughs) um, in lockdown, this is quite interesting. What are some of the issues that um, are evident to you during um, this lockdown that uh, we're experiencing at the moment?
3: Well, first of all, I want to really send my, my love to everybody in Melbourne because I really, yes. really feel for you. It must be very hard. My 18-year-old son is in Melbourne. He's at uni there, and he's been in lockdown along with you for all this time. So I know I get the daily report, but it's, yes. I really feel for you. It's, it's terrible. Um, I mean, I understand that the lockdown has managed to get rid of the, the, the wave, which is wonderful, and we needed it, but um, I have a lot of patients in Melbourne and the yeah it's hard you know the children missing out on school um especially children who already have pre-existing conditions like autism or ADHD and not getting the usual therapies that they need and that that, that routine that they thrive on um and that's very it-
0: hard even the, yeah. um, the um, one-on-one for practitioners, like, you know, the telehealth con- consultations have changed. Um, so mm. they're not getting that touch or that that look, you know, from the practitioner either that they would normally That's engage true. with. Yeah, so mm. social isolation, it's a big driver of the issues that we're experiencing, obviously, like you said, but what's the effect of social isolation on the brain um, that obviously is, is an issue with uh, children and adolescent health at the moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, that is, I mean... First of all, there's a lot more anxiety, depression, right, and amongst young people, feeling that they, they can't really look forward to the future with confidence. They don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Um, so all of those things happening, the strain on the parents, some homeschooling as well. And um, on the brain, I mean, there's certainly... Um, areas that are associated with social interaction and if you have much less social interaction they're not going to be as um, as stimulated and whatever happens in the first few years of a child's life is kind of built into the brain. Mm. They they may not remember what the stories you read to them when they were one year old but those stories um, are like an exercise for the brain to develop the parts of the brain that have to do with language.
0: That's quite beautiful. And for yeah. social
3: interaction, we have the prefrontal cortex, so that's kind of like on your below your forehead. Mm-hmm. And people who are very lonely, who don't have a lot of social interaction, have reduced brain volume in that prefrontal cortex. Wow. And that part of the brain is also important for decision-making and social behavior. So... You know, we don't know. This is a unique, unprecedented situation. We've never had, um, you know, whole cities and countries in lockdown before. No. So we don't really know what the long term um, um, effects will be. But I think um, we need to be aware of that the brain is like a muscle and we need to work it and we need to work the social part because if it's not happening naturally, because in lockdown, we need to find other ways to make up for
0: it. Most definitely. Yeah.
3: There's also the something called the hippocampus, an area of the brain kind of deeper down, um, and people who are isolated have smaller hippocampi, and there's less of something called the brain derived neurotrophic factor mm. in their brains, and that's um a chemical that helps make more brain cells. yeah so it's really, really important for children, for learning, for memory and um <clears throat> and also for producing um, not too much of stress hormones like cortisol. And then there's a third part of the brain, the amygdala. Um, And that, the size of the amygdala correlates with the size of the social network of a person. So if you have lots and lots of friends, you have bigger amygdala. And if you're very lonely, you have smaller ones. And it is an area that's very much associated with, um, with processing emotion and fear and things like that. So I think we, you know it's It's very interesting to look at the parts of the brain that are involved with yes um social connection and so on, but I think it's more of a scientific interest, but really what I'm really interested in is how do we make sure that children don't miss out on yes. that social connection yes. even during lockdown
0: yes, so how can we actually help young people now I know one of the Um, important hormones. Actually, I call it the uh, love hormone, the oxytocin. It's one of the most important hormones that humans and many other mammals actually produce, uh, considering it plays a role in social bonding, building relationships, and um, even reproduction, childbirth, and breastfeeding because you're a lactation consultant as well, aren't you? So um, low levels have been linked to depression and anxiety. And um, this hormone, the oxytocin, actually helps with social bonding and building relationships and boosting our ability to actually cope with stress.
3: Absolutely. I mean, oxytocin is one of my favorite hormones. Yes. <laughs> it's the hormone that a mother produces when she gives birth and she sees her baby for the first time and falls in love, you know. And it's the hormone that when, when you have your baby skin to skin that yeah. they um, produce and when you look at your baby or your child, um, you both produce oxytocin. Interestingly, kids with autism um, often respond really, really well to having oxytocin given as an intranasal spray.
1: There's um,
3: interesting research on that, that children make more eye contact and more interested and Mm, interacting socially when you you give them that hormone. So it's really, really important. And yes, there are ways of increasing oxytocin. So, for example, just... um, going for a walk together, exercising increases oxytocin, playing together, board games or doing crafts or anything that you do together where you feel that that connectedness increases your oxytocin, reading a book together and even just remembering happy times. So get out your photo albums and look at photos yes. of, you know, yeah. things that you did together and enjoyed and even just smiling <laughs> increases <laughs> your oxytocin. So, yeah. you know, um, there was this very interesting research done a while ago at UCSF where they found that if you just if you don't feel great and you just force yourself to smile, you actually start increasing hormones that make you happy. Yes, isn't that fantastic? On <laughs> you feel yeah. better after a while. So, I mean, it's hard to say that to someone who's really depressed. Yes. but I think um, <clears throat> if you are in lockdown and you're lonely, try and, and make some connection, whether it's through a a phone call, a video call, um, a, a Zoom dance class. I mean, I, I do that now. Every yeah. Sunday, the Sydney Dance Company has a Latin front dance class. Fantastic. That and just, you know, because it, it does get lonely. I mean, I we're not in total lockdown in Sydney, but still I'm very careful and I don't meet people. So um, doing things like that really helps you to produce more oxytocin and reduce your stress hormone levels. and um, Create a social bubble. You know, I think that's really important, you know, once you're allowed to. I think you're allowed to meet with five people now, right? In Melbourne? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah.
2: I think we can. One
3: bubble. It's called one social bubble, yeah.
2: Yeah, I'm not too sure.
3: sure And meet with those people. And, you know, that, I mean, you don't need to meet with 100 different people. Just if you have one, one bubble, but really make it regular. Have regular social interaction.
2: Yeah, and some of those things sound quite simple to do later, don't they? But like you mentioned before that when, with the kids being homeschooled and being away from their social network, that impacts them. But also there's an anxiety and stress that some parents particularly are experiencing with having the extra responsibility of working from home, yeah. but also then watching their children who are doing their schoolwork. And, and then I guess some of that responsibility comes back to the parent to do some of that at school, like the homeschooling part. So... Just that little bit of remembering to smile, be happy. Spend time interacting with their children can be quite difficult when they're already stressed and, and not feeling great, can't. It?
3: Yeah, yeah. That is very hard. I mean I think this is a time to be kind towards yourself yeah. and everyone else. Because you won't be able maybe to achieve everything that you set out every day to do. But, you know, just be forgiving even to yourself and This is not a time for punishment for telling people off you really we need positivity because it's already hard enough and if we're you know harsh on each other it just makes things harder so um i think you know homeschooling if a child is old enough to follow schooling online that's one thing but if there's they can't do it or are too young. I don't think this is the most important thing. Is for them to do the academic work. The most important thing for them is to stay sane yeah. and yeah. You know, not become anxious, not to become depressed and stressed. So, if you know, if it's easier to just do a craft project rather than doing the, I don't know, the literacy training they're yeah. supposed to do, just mm-hmm. do that and forgive yourself and forgive your child and just say, "We'll learn to read and write." And yes, I don't want anyone to miss out on schooling. And it's no. really, really hard. I mean, at the height of this, um pandemic, um, 90% of the children around the world who are supposed to be in school were not in school. Yeah. I mean, can you imagine that? 1.5 billion kids missing out on education. Yeah. And, <clears throat> but I think really, you know, And we don't know for how long, you know, we don't know how many more ways there are, and whether there'll be more lockdowns or not. This is just so unpredictable. And we don't even know what the best approach is yet. We'll know that in two years. And then we can look back and say, oh, that country did really well. Mm. Well, let's see what they did. Yeah. But um, I think really kindness is just the big, important
0: value that they need to work towards now yeah well this oxytocin like this hormone we place a lot of emphasis on this because it, it can potentially increase feelings of generosity forgiveness Trustworthiness, joy and security. And I think this is what a lot of people require at the moment. So the concepts that uh, actually stimulate or produce a lot more oxytocin are really invaluable. You know, like like you said, you know, walking or exercising with someone. But even looking at photos and videos of people that you care about, like you said, um, including on social media can produce those effects too, that hormonal effect. Even speaking to someone that you trust on the phone, listening to calming music, telling someone you love them, um, even... You know, this is where pets come into it, you know, petting um, the dog, the cat, the bird, whatever you've got, even if it's a a stuffed animal, can really really come into effect, you know. And um, we've got to remember laughing as well and making eye contact are really important components of um, encouraging the production of um, oxytocin. Yeah, because I mean,
3: I I, I love pets. I think, you know, our animals, companion animals, they are the best therapists. You know, I've seen so many (laughs) children who were anxious, and once the family got a dog, they just became best friends with that dog and thrive. Or children who were too scared to learn to read and couldn't read to anyone, and was just, once they started reading to their dog, they learned to read because they, they didn't feel. Criticized and they didn't feel judged yeah. all the time. The dog just yeah. sits there and looks at yeah. you and, and smiles, right? Yeah. And I mean, in Sydney
0: now, everybody's got a little dog. <laughs> oh, gorgeous! Shelters, yeah.
3: Are empty. Yeah. Fa- fantastic. It doesn't have to be a dog. You could get a little rat, a guinea pig. A, you know, it doesn't matter. <laughs> right. You know,
0: just get a little being that yeah. you
3: can love. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That's fantastic. Now, um, mm. what do you think about daily schedules? Um, you know, or predictable routines in in enabling to affect um, or reducing cortisol and increasing the good neurotransmitters in the brain? Well, I
3: think it's very, very helpful. I mean, I have to say when we in in early March went into lockdown here in Sydney, and I said, Oh, my God, how am I going to cope? I actually just took a big piece of paper and made myself a schedule for the week. You know, when will I work? When will I jogging when i do yoga when i do (laughs) and i put voted all down and came up with lots of ideas that i could do maybe i didn't even fit them all into the week but i had (laughs) at least you know ideas that i could do and then i i really it it helped me to have some control to feel that i had some control over my life you know because i wasn't allowed to leave i wasn't there were so many things i wasn't allowed to do so that i think a schedule for children and even for the adults. Parents is a very very good idea because it makes things more predictable it gives you a sense of control Yeah, and you also need to work and break, that's really really important so a lot of kids who are preparing for example for HSD, you know there is excellent research on the best ways of studying and it's not to study for 5 hours in a row but to take breaks, you know maybe yeah. study for 15 minutes take a 10 minute break, it's good for your eyes look in the distance so you're not on the computer the whole time it's good for your brain. You actually remember things better if you take breaks. And the little kids, you know, if they spend 30 minutes sitting down doing some work, they actually need some time after that, jumping up and running around. And if you're lucky enough to have a garden, go in the garden, go outside and, and you know, release some of that energy. And then you go back to your work and you can actually achieve more if you take those regular breaks. So that's, I think, very, very important.
1: Yeah
0: actually have
3: that schedule and it's a fun activity you know you can sit down with your kids and they can draw little cards of different things that they want to do and then you can stick the cards on the schedule every day and decide when you do what that's what the teachers do at school (laughs) gorgeous
0: you know so actually being in nature like, like you mentioned or even viewing scenes of nature um does reduce those emotions like you know anger fear stress and um it helps increase a pleasant feeling so it not only makes them feel better emotionally, but it contributes to physical well-being. You know, such as reducing blood pressure and heart rate, and the muscle tension that a lot of people feel in lockdown. Um, and it lessens the production of stress hormones. So, what are you seeing and hearing, or um, um, experiencing at the moment in, in terms of um, nature cure? Well, I think nature is.
3: Uh, an amazing medicine. It has a very calming effect on the brain and helps you increase um, your levels of endorphins, which are your kind of happy hormones. That, For example, when you go for a run and you get that runner's high, that's your endorphin levels going up. Endorphins also reduce pain. So if you've had some pain, you um, really good way um of reducing that is to go out into nature go for a walk there is actually something called green prescription
0: yeah where
3: yeah. when you go to the doctor and say i don't know i feel anxious and i have a headache they say well here's my pad and i'll prescribe an hour's walk <laughs> in nature every day and there's a lot of research behind that it helps you calm down kids with adhd concentrate better you are be- you are better at creative problem solving after you walk in a park. There is- you're less anxious, less depressed. It's really it's a combination, I think, of being in nature, which we are evolved to do, and mm. we often forget what we're evolved. I mean, we're not that removed genetically from hunter gatherers. No. I- you know, ten thousand years ago, we would live in caves and <laughs> roam the countries and live in nature, be outside most of the time.
2: I think it's and hard hardwired into our DNA.
3: So different. Yeah. Sorry.
2: I think it's hardwired into our DNA, isn't it, Layla? Because you know, like, because because we live in a, in a town where a lot of people come for holidays down the down the coast. You know, I quite often look at it and think, well, these people have big houses in the cities which are fully, you know, fitted out with air conditioning and comforts and TVs, but then they pay to set up a tent on some dirt, <laughs> and that's what their holidays are.
1: You know, yeah, whereas yeah. you
2: know, you think about our predecessors they were fighting to get out of the cave and into a into a hut (laughs) which is then into a house but so i think in some ways you're right like it's sort of hardwired into us that we we know that's good for us to get back out into nature
1: Yes.
3: Absolutely. I mean, we are really evolved as natural beings and very connected to nature. And we forget that. We think we're so separate, but we're
0: yeah. not. Yeah. No. Yeah. You know, there's so many names for nature play at the moment too. You know, um, just to add it on, just uh, forest bathing, and therapy, mindfulness mm. in nature, green time, like you said, or, or wilderness cures. And like you said, humans have evolved in the great outdoors. So your brain benefits of journeying back to nature, obviously. Yeah. In fact, I know that... Um, you know, from research that we've done previously, that um, what you see, what you hear and what you experience at any moment actually changes not only your mood but how your nervous system, your endocrine and immune systems are working, which is uh, quite important in this uh, day and age at the moment in lockdown. So, um, Absolutely. Our
3: mood affects our immune system. You know, that too. And being out in nature also helps you produce more vitamin D. Yes. And vitamin D has been shown to very much, um, uh, if you have low levels of vitamin D, it's much higher risk of getting severe COVID-19 infections. Whereas yeah. if you have good levels of vitamin D, you're less likely to get very ill.
0: Yeah. And Layla, what, what do you do? Um, I mean, research done in hospitals and schools and offices have found that um, even a simple plant in the room can have significant effect on stress and anxiety. Yeah. What do you say to people who can't actually get out there at the moment?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think... Um, Getting a plant is a great idea, you know, or even just a planter box and start growing some some seeds, you know, the, whatever you can. I mean, you can probably order such things online and get them. Um, it's, I think it's, it's very, very hard if you're stuck in an apartment and you can't go out at all. But I think everybody in Melbourne is allowed out an hour a day, right, for exercise. One hour, one a time. Oh, ato- oh yeah. I
2: believe it's more have gone up to two now. Two hours. Two hours
3: now, yeah. yeah. But, I mean, at the height, I think, at the worst, it was one hour. Yeah, but it I was, yeah, it's only an hour. That, that hour. Go outside, you know, really take advantage and, and spend that hour outside. And um, even if it's raining or if it's cold, get dressed. You know, I grew up in Berlin where it's always raining. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <I'm> right. <laughs> <laughs> you just have oh. to dress right and you'll be fine. But I think that's so important to get out there, and especially for the children to just run and move and... Um, you know jump into the puddles and um, just get out but um, if you have to be inside for the rest of the 23 hours of your day then if you can get some plants that will make a difference if you can have your window open or if you can look outside it's some something green or at least the sky that's better than just being in a room and dark room and just looking at your screen all the time so and then you know I mean Everybody's spending too much time on on screens right now. Yeah. But even very hard to change. But if you at least watch things that are soothing, you know. If you're going to watch a movie, watch something that is not going to increase your stress hormones even further. But something that you know, maybe a movie about a beautiful
0: nature trail or something. Beautiful. Yeah, great. Um, But even like you said previously, you know, you can start building uh, gardens in pots, you know what I mean? You can plant tomatoes um, or cucumbers or or whatever you want, or even salad, and you can have a connection to that nature play there as well, you know, in a pot. It doesn't have to be something significant.
1: I
3: always recommend that, not just for the nature, but um, just for getting kids involved mm -hmm. in eating healthy food, because when they see it grow and they um, take pride in their lettuce or herbs or whatever it is growing they'll be more interested in eating it as well they do yeah get them involved
0: with their food yeah yeah Mm. most definitely all right so um there's something called the triple p program which is the most effective based parenting program in the world and it's got it's been backed by 35 years of ongoing research can you tell us a little bit about that that can help um parents with, uh... Yeah,
3: I love the Triple P. It's a positive parenting program, and it was developed at the University of Queensland. And it's very much science-based, looking at what works for children, uh, especially children who are difficult, you know, more positional or irritable, and how to get them actually to grow into functional and happy adolescents and adults so it's a long term goal it's not just looking at the next 10 minutes but at the next few years yeah and it is working with the child so the parents are not working against the child which is often can happen with parenting you know i'm you have to go into time out and you have to do this and i'm punishing yeah, no, you now, no. and you did this yeah. wrong it's not like that at all it's really looking at how do we get a child to do positive behaviors and I always think about, you know, if I want my husband to do something, I don't criticize him. I, I kind of praise him, and then he does it again. But, and I think everybody responds yeah. much better to praise than to criticism. And it's the same with kids. So if you find one behavior that you really want to work on, there's this lovely little exercise called the empty marble jar. And you take a glass jar and put it on the counter, and you decide what the behavior is. So, for example, you don't want your children to fight, if that's really driving you nuts. And then you say, every time your children don't fight, and you have to make it at the beginning really, really easy for them to achieve that, so that you can praise them. So you say, if you don't fight for one minute, I'll put a marble in the jar. And, um, and you do that, and you praise say, Wow, you did it. You managed it for a whole minute, not to fight <laughs> with the marble and, and then you have to do it often enough that you fill up that marble jar pretty quickly the first time within a week it has to be full and then you have already in advance you decided something that you're going to do to uh, as a um, reward for achieving that and it can be something like going to a park or you know whatever you wanted to do anyway basically but that's nice for the children too and the children I see that so often they respond so well to that that's and then they're really, yeah. and especially with several children working towards the same goal. It's not against each other. But they're, even if you have just one who really is the issue, if they all work together as a team, it helps. You know, again, you have more oxytocin, more serotonin, less stress hormones. So that's what that positive parenting program really is, is to work with the children, finding solutions and age-appropriate rather than punishment. And Most it's definitely. And very effective. Yeah. And you can, you can even do it online.
0: <coughs> great. Yeah, it sounds like a great mm-hmm. program, actually. And it's free, mm-hmm. isn't it? Isn't it a free program? You can get it
3: free or you can do it privately. Okay, both. sure. You can do
0: both. Yeah, yeah. so that's uh, the Positive Parenting Program, 3Ps, yeah. Now, some of the protocols that you help um, children cope with stress, one of them is uh, breathing to reduce anxiety and stress.
3: Yes, breathing is so important for our health. You know, think of asthma. You know, you can actually improve children's asthma just by teaching them to breathe properly. There's a lot of interest in breathing right now. There's actually a brand new book that has just come out called Breath by a guy in England called Nestor. He's kind of the expert on breathing. Very fascinating, all the research on that. But... um, so if you overbreathe, if you get stressed and you start hyperventilating, you get more stressed, you start to panic. Yeah. So that is a good example of how breathing can affect your mood. If you learn to breathe slowly and gently and ideally through your nose, it really calms you down. And breathing through the nose also has another advantage. Our nose has a million little hairs on it that act <laughs> like a filter. And if you breathe in you know, air, there's always some dust in the air and pollen and particles. Those little hairs actually catch them and they don't go into your body. Whereas if you breathe through your mouth, all of that goes straight into the body and inflames it. And then you get the huge tonsils and the same nose. And even cavities, yeah. Mm. to learn to breathe through your nose. Yeah. And um, there are many, many studies to show that if children, or anyone, not just children, adults, Learn to breathe properly and calmly. It can help with depression, with stress, um, and um, when you do those breathing, so there are breathing courses, for example, online, and, you know, if you do that with somebody and you do those breathing exercises, again, you improve um, the social connectedness. Yeah. So there are so many aspects of breathing.
0: I know a therapeutic strategy is different for everyone, but um, in terms of asthma, because it can be exacerbated by stress as well. I mean, there's different levels, intrinsic, isn't there, and extrinsic. But um, uh, what about Buteyko breathing? Does that become helpful for somatics? Yes, yes. I've I've seen So
3: Buteyko breathing is basically learning to breathe through the nose So keep your mouth shut. (laughs) <laughs> and, um, and to breathe calmly so not to breathe too fast and with that so they, they're very nice breathing courses for children or for adults on that Botteco method there are other methods as well but I do like the Botteco method yeah. I actually did the I um, saw many many children I used to live in New Zealand for many years and mm, how beautiful. Um, saw many kids with asthma go to Botteco breathing courses and coming out and not needing the inhalers anymore. Mm,
1: that's you know? great. So, I
3: mean, it's, it's a gradual thing, but yes. it really <laughs> it does help. Um, and um, I think we need to pay a lot more attention to breathing. You know, a lot of people breathe very superficially and <laughs> very fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's probably, it's, um, you know, it's
2: it's probably one of those things that people important. just think happens naturally like you go what do you mean we need to learn how to breathe because we already are breathing because we're upright and we're still Mm. alive but you're so right like do you find like people I guess when you see the the children who need to learn how to breathe properly do you find that also then reflects true to the parents because I know my experience has been that most people do breathe like what you're saying quite shallowy like and Mm. and it's probably more up in their lungs as opposed to deep down to their bellies do you find that quite quite often through your clinic
1: mm-hmm
3: yeah, I mean, I think young children usually or very often breathe fine. Mm. And then, you know, like babies, toddlers, when you look at them, they breathe down into their bellies, you know, and and often have their mouth shut. <laughs> and then as they get <laughs> um, more stressed and older, they start yeah. their hyperventilating and breathing mm. very shallow and getting stressed out. It's a vicious cycle. Mm. And it's also, it even has an effect on how your face develops, you know. If you have your mouth open, if you just want to try it, if your mouth is open, your tongue is sitting at the bottom of the jaw, yeah. the bottom jaw. And um, if you have your mouth shut, your tongue sits at the top mm. of the palate and pushes the upper teeth, the jaw, apart so that it grows nice and wide with enough space for all the teeth. Mm. And, you know, you can save yourself a lot of money in orthodontics yes. if you breathe properly <laughs> when you're young.
1: Yes, great.
3: So it, it has an effect on so many different things.
0: Yeah. Now, another issue that obviously most parents are probably concerned about um, in lockdown is screen time for, for children and adolescents as well.
3: Yeah. I mean, screen time, you know, everybody spends too much time on screens as it is. And now with lockdown even more. So it is hard. It's very hard. I mean, the Australian recommendation is to have no screens for kids under two years.
0: Wow. Two yeah. years. Yeah. Which is because
3: it's not good for their brain. No. I mean, the occasional FaceTime call with grandma, that's fine. But, you know, games, young children, what they really need to learn, what their brain needs is social interaction. They need to learn social skills and, you know, how to get along. And they're not going to learn that from a screen. They may learn to read and write, but they don't need that when they're two years old. So um, for older kids under five years, the recommendation is less than one hour a day. But I think that's quite unrealistic in lockdown. Most kids spend a lot more time on that. And, you know, a lot of parents, they just think there's no other way. And I, I mean, I feel for them. It is very, very hard. I mean, I think. I'm so glad that my children grew up in a time when we didn't have. Screens.
1: Yeah, they're now yeah.
3: 18 and 24, and they're just you know when we went out for dinner, there were no screens. They would just yeah. get some paper and draw, or you know when they were older, maybe they would read something, or we would talk to each other. Yeah, um, and it was possible. Maybe they were bored sometimes, but I think boredom is not the worst thing because boredom actually makes you more <laughs> creative.
1: It does. You think it yeah. does. Yeah.
3: Um it is, of course, easy to put a screen in front of a child. And I totally understand that that is now sometimes what, what you need to do when you're you know, in lockdown and home alone all day. But just remember that especially under three years of age, screens really have a negative effect on the brain development. And the more time a child spends on screens before they're three years old, the higher the risk that they will have get a diagnosis of ADHD when they're wow.
0: older. Wow, wow, yeah.
3: So it is important to keep that in mind. Um, screens also um, reduce melatonin production. Yes. So if yeah. you look at a screen, that blue color from the screen actually hits your retina, the back of your eye, and stops you from producing melatonin. And <clears throat> so if you've been on a screen all day, let's say you're an HSC mm. student, studying until 11 o'clock at night, there's no way you're going to fall asleep within half an hour when no you way. come off because you just need that, Time to start producing melatonin. So, you really should try to come off your screen two hours before bedtime or two hours there before are bedtime.
0: Some, mm. some,
3: some, there there's some hacks. You can get an app called steps.lux yeah. and it turns the screen orange rather than blue when the sun sets. I think most of the
0: phones phone. have that um, uh, um, yeah. hack now, don't they? Because I know I've got one yes, on yes. that. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. A lot of them have that now.
0: So when um, we talk about devices too, we're talking about the accumulation of computers, television, handheld devices, and video games, the, the accumulation of screen time of all of those.
3: Yeah, yeah. And,
2: and that can be hard, too. I guess, with the homeschooling because a lot of the kids who are homeschooling are literally on their screens in classes. So the classes are now being held on their screens for five, six mm. hours a day. So that becomes very, very difficult, doesn't
3: it? It's also hard on their eyes. You know, there's this thing called digital eye strain where people become myopic. (laughs) They can't see anything anymore. Mm. So you have to take breaks. You have to take regular regular breaks. And I think, I mean, the schools should, you know, give every 50 minutes or so a break so that you can look into the distance, you know, outside your window so you don't have that close distance all the time and, and move around, jump up and down.
0: Get outside to nature now that it's warming up, you know take the socks off, get the feet onto the ground, mm. connection onto the ground, I'd say.
2: Are you seeing yeah. a link between the excess screen time and uh, I guess increases in anxiety and depression within children? Yeah,
3: there is I mean, there is a lot of research on that and that you know even just I mean there is a lot more use of social media as well with young people at yeah. the
1: moment,
3: I guess out of boredom and <laughs> to replace the real social. Um, time and it does increase anxiety because of course a lot of things on social media are not real and um, yeah it is unfortunate and I think it's you know sometimes we need to think of the kind of old fashioned things we can do we can read a book (laughs) we can play a board game we can call on the phone without having to look at it, you know. You can just, you know, put it on speakerphone and talk to someone and hear their voice rather than just texting. Um, the, or you just go into the room next door where you're, the rest of your family is and, and hug them. <laughs> <laughs> so it is there's definitely, I mean... And increase in anxiety and depression and all those things and stress. And I don't think the social media is helping.
0: No. I, or the
3: increase increased time on on devices. Yeah. And then, I mean, even worse than that to me are the violent games. Yeah. You know that that is such. It, they're made to desensitize young people to violence and to think it's okay to kill, mm. and it's not okay. No, You know, so I think I, that's one thing that I would never, ever allow. But it's hard, you know. I mean, many parents don't even know what their kids play because they're so clever, and they, they know how to change the screen very quickly. Yeah. So one of my recommendations always is to have the computers and everything in the family area, not in the bedroom. Yes, yeah. So that you have some control and know what they're doing.
0: Most definitely. Yeah. And so because of being so... Um, you know, locked up all the time, exercise does become very important as well, doesn't it, to reduce the stress hormones and, you know, help with the anxiety or depression? Absolutely. There is
3: so much research on exercise and mood. So you can, I mean, the exercise can be as good as an antidepressant for a depressed person. If they exercise 60 minutes a day and you have to find, you know, whatever exercise you enjoy. I mean, for some people it's walking, others it's dancing or playing a ball game. Whatever it is, you know, it is so good for your mind, for your body. It's also good for your immunity. You know, you increase your white blood cells, you increase antibodies to fight infection. Your temperature goes up, which kills off viruses and bacteria. So it's it's very very um, important. I mean, we are evolved to be moving all day long. So saying that we should exercise for 60 minutes a day is really a minimum, you know, but most people don't even get that minimum. Yeah. And Children, I mean, naturally, when you look at young children, they move around all day. They run. The other day when I was outside, I saw these two women jogging and a little three-year-old running after them. And he was
0: fast. Mm. <laughs> That's gorgeous. And he just
3: kept going and going. And I said, for him, it's so natural.
0: That's you know? gorgeous. He
3: not yeah. have to go to an exercise class. He just wants to do it. He wants to move. Yeah. yeah, so we, we need to, we, we, we are, I mean, as hunter-gatherers, we were walking for six to eight hours a day trying to find food and and we were dancing and we were singing, you know, and we were together. So we just need to kind of think if that, if we can recreate a little bit of that and think that's our DNA. We are evolved, we, we haven't really changed since then um, in our DNA. We still need that. We need lots of movement.
0: Yeah, now one of the important factors too is um nutrition for, for mood or or brain and immunity at the moment. Obviously we're locked down for, for particular reasons, so this becomes um of vital importance to parents out there. What what do you suggest for um like the mood and, and the brain integrity of children?
3: Yeah, so for food and mood it's really, really important to avoid the super highly processed food. Mm. And unfortunately, that's 80% of what you buy at the supermarket is super highly processed.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Ultra
3: processed, they call it. So that's just your white flour, white sugar, bad oils, mixed together into various different <laughs> packagings. And what we really want to eat is real food. So fruits and vegetables and whole grains. You want to eat the rainbow, the the colors of the rainbow every day because those colors are actually signs of, Antioxidants and phytonutrients that are good for your immune system and for your brain. So, we and for your gut flora as well. You know, there's um, a lot of research into the bacteria that are growing in our gut and our mood. There's something called the gut brain axis. Yes. And if you have, if you eat healthy food, if you eat fiber, we, Humans cannot digest the fiber. We don't have those enzymes. We only make like 17 enzymes, digestive mm. enzymes. But mm-hmm. the bacteria in our gut make thousands of enzymes. Mm. And they can break down that fiber and thrive on it. And then they produce and chemicals that yeah. make us happy. And then mm. um, actually uh, the, are the fuel for our gut cells, for example, for the gut lining to be healthy. So... Um, the microbiome, the gut bacteria are so important for mood they produce, the bacteria produce, um, even serotonin, and you know' a very happy and calm neurotransmitter. So if you eat um, the, a variety of fibers and nuts and seeds and whole grains and vegetables and legumes and fruit, you feed a wide variety of gut bacteria, and that's what you want. The more variety, the better. The more diverse your gut flora,
0: the healthier you are and the happier you are. Yeah. So, you do see and a lot of nutritional deficiency, obviously, in your clinic as well, being a pediatrician. So, what supplements do you actually suggest um, for mood? I know therapeutic strategies um, vary according to individuals, but what basic ones do you um, uh, suggest for, for moods currently? Yeah. I
3: mean, for. So, I think um, if you. If, if you're feeling really, really unwell and you you need to see a doctor to check whether you have enough iron and B12 and those kind of things, yes. you can check that in a blood test. But if you don't do that and you don't have the opportunity to do that, the really basic ones, number one is vitamin D from sunshine. Yeah, When the sun hits our skin, it produces vitamin D and vitamin D is essential for a healthy mood, happy mood and for good immune system. So... In the winter, a lot of people have less vitamin D because the sun is not at the angle where it hits the skin at the right angle to produce vitamin D. And people get what's called seasonal affective disorder or Mm, SAD. And um, even in Australia, I check a lot of children's vitamin D levels because they may have allergies or immune issues, and vitamin D is very important for that. And in the winter, nobody has great vitamin D levels Mm. unless they're taking a supplement. And if you look at the northern European countries that are as far away from the equator as mm. we are here, the kids all get vitamin D. Yeah, so yeah, cod liver oil. <laughs> very, very important. Yeah, so vitamin D. And the other one that I think is super important is magnesium. So, you know, I already mentioned before, if you're low on magnesium, you may get muscle cramps. And you think of a, an athlete who's running a lot, they need more magnesium. Otherwise, they get muscle cramps. You may get um, headaches, anxiety, constipation, Um, all of those. It may not be able to sleep very well or get nightmares. So, magnesium is really important right now. You can get magnesium just by adding Epsom salts to your bath or magnesium flakes to your bath water. Mm. And then you don't even need to eat anything to get that magnesium. Or you can rub a magnesium cream into your legs. Or you can eat a handful of nuts and seeds. I was just going to say, or green leafy
0: vegetables are, that are green above ground.
3: Yeah, Yeah. so once again, if you eat the rainbow, you get your magnesium. So And then you also get your B vitamins, which are very important for mood and brain function. You know, if you're B12 deficient, you become easily depressed. So B vitamins important. And then the other one that I always think of in Australia is zinc because the soils in Australia are Mm. very low in zinc.
1: Mm -hmm. So
3: a lot of people become deficient in zinc and you can check that on your fingernails. If you have little white spots on your fingernails, Mm -hmm. you probably are a bit low in zinc. And that can make you really irritable and easily frustrated. You know, and that's um I see a lot of kids who are, you know, get angry about little things and explode and then I test their blood, they have low zinc and once we give them zinc, they're much happier. Yeah. You know, they're much, much better. So, very important. And also, zinc is so important for your immune system. The kids who get sick a lot are often deficient in zinc. That's That's an important one. And the omega-3s? Omega-3, absolutely. I was just going to say that. You can read my mind. Yes.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We're so in tune, yeah.
3: (laughs) omega-3 are the good oil for the brain and for the skin and... If you check your, your upper arms, they are a bit rough like sandpaper. Mm. So if you check that on your children, yeah. that's a sign that they're probably low on omega-3. And omega-3 is neuroprotective, so it yeah. protects your brain. It's anti-inflammatory. And there's a lot of research that if you have good omega-3 levels early on in, your, in the pregnancy, and the first years of life, you're less likely to have issues with um, mental health later on.
0: Oh, yes, most definitely. And
3: it's the number one supplement recommended by pediatricians for kids with, for example, ADHD. And, you know, when a child is low on omega-3 and has ADHD, sometimes that's all they need. A good dose of omega-3. That's amazing, And once their skin becomes nice and smooth, that's, you know they can concentrate fine. They're, they're, a lot of the issues have gone.
0: And zinc's a precursor for the uptake of omega-3 as well. So the two go yeah. um, in combination together normally. Yeah,
3: yeah, absolutely.
2: So, oh, Leila, I hate to say this, but our hour is nearly gone. So that's gone extremely quickly. It. So before we do start to wrap up, is there places where people can get some help?
0: And come and see her? Yes, her,
3: absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, I I would say um, if your child is really struggling, get to the Kids Helpline.
0: Yeah, kidshelpline.com.au, yep.
3: Yeah, Headspace. Headspace, that which
0: is yep, and beyondblue.org.au. Yeah.
3: Absolutely. So those would be three good places, but also your GP. The yep. community health centre, I mean, they, they all know that this is a big issue right now and they have um, ways of helping.
0: Now, mm-hmm. Layla, you've got a presentation coming up next week as well on the 30th of September from ACNAM as well. How can people get in contact with you if they want to um, hear in depth information about how to help their child um, or if they want to come to your clinic or have you as a paediatrician as well?
3: Yeah, so the the Talk at Acnum is on the 30th of September, and um, it's on my Facebook page. So if you go to my Facebook page, Dr. Lila Mason, you'll find it, or acnum.org, their Facebook page as well. And I have a website, drlilamason.com, where you can look up what I do. Um, I have a blog on there with lots of interesting articles, or I hope they're
1: interesting. (laughs) Yeah, they're very interesting. Um,
3: about you know lots of different issues and 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 you mentioned my book. I wrote that because people really kept asking me the same questions over and over again and said, "Well, what do I do with my child?" Fantastic copulation, yeah, yeah, to help people. <laughs> and where can
2: people get a copy of your book?
3: Um, the it's available at Amazon, Fishpond, all the usual online yep. booksellers.
2: Excellent.
0: So, so that's um children's A to Z, copulation of um uh, yeah yeah
3: children's health A to Z.
2: Excellent. And now, just so people can find you on Facebook, how to spell your name, it's L-E-I-L-A and then M A S -S -S O N. So for people who are trying to find you on Facebook and also your web web page and for your blog. Thank Thank, you. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, It's been such an honour to have you on and we've got so much information. And hopefully, the audience and the listeners have been able to take away some really key things that they can sit down with their children. And I know sometimes it can be hard and sometimes it's easy just to give a child an electronic device to keep them busy. But sometimes the investment in time now is investment in the future of the health of your children. So, um, I guess if there's any message there, spend the time in to sit generations down. To come. Absolutely. With the generations to come. And but also, you know, invest the time now to increase the health and the future of our children.
0: Thanks very much, Lila.
3: kind to yourself. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah.
0: it's been such an honour to have you. Thank you. Wealth of knowledge.
3: Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Okay.
0: We'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much. And you're listening to 87.6 FM, 3ABR, The Wellness couch, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye.